Welcome to another episode of the Swans blog, Swans Cast. Today, I'm joined by Heather Quinlan from the Facebook group Interstate Crew. Heather, how are you? Really good, Justin. Wonderful to be uh, with you on the very well-known Swans blog. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> how about the Swans on the weekend? They were actually great to watch. Um, very enjoyable game, really high quality against the Crows. And I've got to confess, I don't think I was alone here in chewing the fingernails down to the quick yep. as we got down to the end. But, uh, yep, a really great uh, result. And uh, I'd have to say uh, not the first great result we've uh, enjoyed in the last few weeks. No, we've certainly had our fair share of good results over the season, especially the last month. The game reminded me a lot, uh, the finish especially, of the Essendon game. Uh, just how how tough and tight it was, but the fact that everything just kind of went right for the Swans at the right time. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, I'm also a great believer in the fact that you make your own luck, and I think yeah. that they work pretty hard at getting those kind of things right um, in the final few minutes, potentially because it's all gone wrong in the past in the final yep. few minutes, but they definitely seem to have uh, a bit of an edge at the moment in those tight tussles. I'd certainly back them. Oh, absolutely. And when you think back to last season in particular, there was uh, tight games against Adelaide, um, which I think is a kind of a classic one where you've got the three players running in the open and you've got a player going down the line. Then that's followed up a couple of weeks later with the Richmond one, where, again, player went down the line, which was arguably the right decision to make, just unlucky things happened. The Hawks, with that fluky kick out of midair by, I think it was uh, McAvoy. Last year, we didn't have a lot of luck in those really tight games, but this year, we've, I think we've made our own luck. I, I totally agree with you, 100% agree with you on that. Um, I think there appears to be... Um, a bit of resolve around the group and that's yep. interesting because they've obviously got a few younger, newer players who weren't necessarily there uh, experiencing those um, situations last year but they've certainly taken it on and run with it and it's really pleasing to see obviously as, as a Swan supporter but quite fascinating when you take into account the 0-6 start of course because, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, because they've got themselves into a a very good position, but perhaps not as high up the ladder as what we all would have expected going into round one. Oh, that's certainly a given. And one particular player is fast becoming my favourite, hands down, and that's Callum Mills. Even back to the Carlton game and before then, when he was grabbing the other players and yelling at them and telling them to snap out of it, uh, there was... uh, the intercept marks he took against Essendon, the way he played against Richmond, uh, what he did again against Adelaide. He is probably one of the most important players in the team. His ability to go back, read the ball, but also his courage. Yeah, definitely. I What I love about Callum Mills, apart from the intercept marking, is the fact that he comes across to me as a young man with a real backbone of steel. I yes. don't think anything 
or anybody actually intimidates him. He did get beaten up a bit in that Carlton game and, and afterwards I think there was a whole pile of regret from some of his teammates that they really didn't help out in that situation. Yep. Um, but I, I see Callum as being uh, an integral player as well in that back line but in the whole team and if I was to be a betting woman and I have been known to have the odd flutter, I wouldn't mind <laughs> betting that in the future we will see him as a very senior member of the leadership team. I agree. And look, we can uh, certainly discuss the Carlton game in round six later on because we're actually playing Carlton again this weekend. So I think there's definitely a lot of good topics to sort of chat about then. (laughs) But in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about Heather Quinlan. And why don't you tell us how you came to be a Swan supporter, given that you're not exactly from Sydney? No, I'm not from Sydney. I'm actually from Perth. Uh, I actually currently reside in Perth. I have grown up with football all my life, um, but I became a Swan supporter in probably the mid-1990s, and how that actually developed was uh, that I I moved for work uh, when I was very young, very young, I was only 18 and a bit, uh, over to Sydney from Perth. I was employed as a cadet journalist at the West Australian. Uh, my boyfriend of the time got a better job in Sydney. I followed him. I was fortunate enough to get a job in the sports section of the Sydney Morning Herald and I, that's where I wanted to work. I'd, as a cadet I'd done a number of different roles but ultimately I wanted to write about sport because they were the two, well writing and sport were the two things I loved. And I was fortunate enough to be picked up by the Herald. I started as a sub-editor there and then moved into writing uh, and just out of interest for people. that The year that I went to the Herald was 1987 and I was only the second woman ever to work in the Herald sports section. Wow. And the, the woman who preceded me started three months before me. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, it seems unbelievable now but... Uh, my great colleague and very good friend Louise Evans started three months before me. I was the second woman ever to work in the sports section of the Sydney Morning Herald, a paper that's obviously been around for 150 years plus and it, yeah, quite remarkable really. I didn't actually even realise that at the time. So yep, I was fortunate enough to uh, be given the um, AFL round uh, to, to cover the Swans in 1994, although you could say that that was uh, the poison chalice of the yes, time. Yes, not exactly a great time for the Swans, was it? Not a great time for the Swans. <laughs> they were probably showing a few signs of improvement, but it had been pretty dire uh, in, yes. the, in the years prior to that. As, especially '93. Especially '93. Uh, it was it was pretty terrible, and and when I was told I was going to be doing AFL, I was really pleased because. I love football. I'd grown up watching um, the great game of Australian rules football as a South Fremantle supporter in the West Australian Football League, also red and white. Uh, and, you know, this is a club that produced players of the of the calibre of, uh, of Maurice Rioli yep. and uh, Brad Hardy, who's been in the news a bit lately. Uh, <laughs> and for I the could, wrong reasons, unfortunately. For the, for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I could reel off a few others, but a, a great and mighty club and... I loved my football, but at the time, the Swans were going pretty bad, and yep. it was interesting, interesting times. But in that year, and I guess in the year or so following, 
uh, we had some change take place in the club and that that club, the Sydney Swans, totally got under my skin and yeah, and I became a real supporter around about 95, 96 and of course 96, it didn't yep. hurt the fact that uh, yep. <laughs> the club reached, club reached the grand final. Yeah, I can uh, say the same as a 10-year-old that at the start of that year going, oh yeah, I'll... I'll, I'll pick Sydney this year because at the time I was young I'd um, sort of floated with a couple of different teams I didn't really have anyone pressuring me or forcing me to make a decision and I thought oh I'll go for Sydney this year they made the grand final so I've been uh, hooked ever since yep I know the I know the feeling they really uh, it, they just I don't know they just take over your life what can I say they do. It, it's been a real pleasure to be a swan supporter I, I feel really blessed. it has yep and I think um one of the things that really appeals to me being a Swan supporter is the fact that it, in a way the club culture and the way it's run, it kind of embodies me personally as well. So I would expect that people would follow clubs that they feel that personal connection to as well. Yeah, I like uh, the way that they the club has definitely set some standards there. I like the, the fact that they had a couple of really key players come in, Stuart Maxfield, one yep. I'm thinking of who really laid it on the line for his teammates and for all the members of the club just to, uh, I guess, be really accountable and develop that kind of culture where uh, it was important to always live up to the values of the club and, and that meant on and off the field as well. And I think if you're a supporter, you want to see the fact that you know, there are quality people in that club. and um, I really can't. I can't argue with what's gone on uh, since since Stuart, since Brett Kirk were the leaders of that club because they've really taken it to new levels. And I think Jared McVeigh's yes, uh, a captain, a captain of great integrity. And and of course you can't argue with uh, Josh P Kennedy uh, as your, as your leader because there's a man who is um, who you, who you just follow into into battle every day of the week, wouldn't you? Absolutely, and. Look, even though Jack McVeigh's future is in doubt, you can never question what he did as a captain. And even Kieran Jack, what he used to do, especially off-season with the new players, uh, Hanabry ran with him for a couple of years. He's been such a leader off the field that I think it's quite understated because you don't really hear about what he does in the mainstream media. But there's always little you know, bits of information coming out from the club about what he actually does for the players. I love hearing Kieran Jack talk. He doesn't often do it. He's, I think he's a reluctant interviewee. I'm not sure why because he, he's very eloquent and he's a thoughtful man and I believe that he has taken a lot of players under his wing and um, I've got a special affinity for, for Kieran because, of course, his dad was the great Gary Jack, uh, yep. wonderful, wonderful rug, uh, rugby league player uh, from the Balmain Tigers, who I, the club that I kind of adopted when I moved to Sydney. And uh, so I guess I've got always got a bit of a soft spot for him. But I think that he continues in his own way to be quite a leader on the, on the field. It's really wonderful, too, to see him back in a bit of form at the moment. Oh, absolutely. It's, um, it's been too long coming got our heroes and villains of the week so would you like to kick us off with your hero of the week yes absolutely thanks justin my hero of the week now i'm assuming that most people's hero of the week if they were swan supporters would probably be lance franklin we we were all we were all 
eyes agog, eyes out on stalks as we watched him kick that incredible goal that we all knew yep. straight away was going to be a goal of the year contender. But my hero of the week is actually Dane Rampey. Yeah, yeah. And Dane Rampey is a player who uh, we all rely upon. Uh, we know he is very, very reliable. I, I was just taken with his wonderful performance uh, on Taylor Walker, who really could have been a pivotal player for the Adelaide Crows uh, last weekend, but he was really silenced pretty effectively by Rampey. And yep. I just, what I like about Dane Rampey, I mean, apart from the fact, yes, he does take some great intercept marks and whatever, he's got a wonderful punch on him, but he just, he reads the play so well and he has a remarkable turn of speed when he needs it. He just seems to get there almost every time, no matter what. And I think if you have a look at the stats since he came back into the side after his very unfortunate tripping over the chain, broken arm <laughs> accident, I think you'll find his stats are pretty good and they've they he has been a really pivotal player, I think, in, in the Swans' resurgence after a really terrible start. And he's a kind of player who is highly rated but is rarely mentioned in the same breath as Alex Rance. Yeah, but I, yeah. I really rate Dane Rampey. I, even with his weird moustache, um, <laughs> Dane, if you're listening now, we'd love you to get rid of that moustache. But in spite of all that, uh, for mine, he is... A wonderful player, just a cog in that back line. Absolutely, I, I just can't. I think he's absolutely going to be pivotal during the finals. I totally, one hundred percent agree. And uh, he is a bit of a quirky, eccentric character. And I think it was Hanabry that um, Foxtel or BT was talking to after the match, and they were talking about the robe. And um, I'm pretty sure it was Hanabry who said, "Yeah, he's a bit of a weird character." So. <laughs> So that's just a little bit of a quirk of his own personality. And, and we're all we're all aspiring to getting one of those robes. My understanding oh. is that is the the club the club merchandising area is actually onto it. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, because even with that Carlton supporter requesting one, everyone wants one. I've kind of wondered that myself, to be honest. <laughs> I want one. Yeah, I definitely want one. I know my partner's going to want one. She's probably going to want three. <laughs> <laughs> but but who's I, your hero, Justin? Look, my hero uh, is Franklin. Obviously, why, I don't even have to say it, but uh, I was fortunate enough to be at the ground on the weekend and you could just see the impact that he had off the ball and especially around the ball. He didn't have huge numbers, uh, certainly not you know, what we're used to seeing. He had 16 possessions, 12 of them were contested, if you can believe that. Mm -hmm. He also had six inside 50s, three goals, and he had the shoulder of God moment at the moment for Papley, you know, right at the end to score <laughs> that goal. So, <laughs> so um, look, his influence on the game is unparalleled. He's basically an extra midfielder who can kick 10 goals in a game. So as good as Dangerfield is, I mean, this guy, he is, you know, he's a freak of nature. He is probably, apart from Adam Goods, possibly the most gifted footballer athlete I've ever seen. He is yeah. unbelievable. He is unbelievable. And what I like was the fact that a couple of weeks ago he went through a mini form slump where he really, uh, I guess, didn't perform the way we kind of expected him to. Yep. Uh, and he's really come out in the last couple of weeks and been um, really quite influential 
in the game. And I think when he kicked that goal, which we are already calling the goal of the year. Yeah, it's going to be goal of the year. There can't be any other, <laughs> there can't be any other competitor. <laughs> no. Uh, I think when he kicked that goal, the Swans actually hadn't kicked a major for at least a quarter and Adelaide were right on their hammer. So yes. I think it was pivotal in really just getting the Swan scoreboard ticking over again. Well, I don't know if you know this. This just underpins how important he was and how good he was. He had three contested marks, and he is not a player known for his contested marking ability. No, and in actual fact, I saw him take a one-grabber mark. He did, and it was. I was watching it just, What? He's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, I was especially fortunate to be in the pocket where he actually ran down and uh, it really was just one of those moments. It was one of those moments, magnificent to watch. And again, it's a little bit like you were talking about before when everything in the Essendon game just unfolded. I looked at that happening and I thought, he's going to kick that. Yep. And he and he did. And it you never were looked very... in doubt. Never looked in doubt, and you were a lucky man to be there watching it live. Very much so. Now, Heather, do you happen to have a Villain of the Week? Well, I do. I do have a Villain of the Week, and I know that I would imagine anyway that in most weeks the match review panel would come in for some <laughs> stick at this part of the this part of the show. Uh, I think we'll revert to the hmm, historical people that, people, supporters and um, footy fans love to hate, and that is the umpires. Yeah. I think we can, I think we yeah, can safely say... Yeah, I'm with you on this say, one too. Yeah, I think we can safely say that the, the umpiring uh, of the Adelaide-Sydney match was below standard. Oh, uh, that's putting it kindly. <laughs> that's putting it very kindly. Well, I do... I will preface my comments by saying that I, I'm not one to immediately jump on umpiring deficiencies... Um, in games, I do like to think that you know one or two bloopers either way isn't going to yeah. sway the result of a match. But on this occasion, and as I was watching that game throughout the game, when it actually got to 23-7 in favour of the Crows in umpiring decisions, and I had seen several Swans players get slung around the neck with, with no result from the umpire, no penalty against the Crows, I became a little bit agitated, and yep. I think the final the final penalty count was twenty eight fourteen in favour of Adelaide. But at one point it was twenty five to eight, and I think there might have been a bit of squaring up going on. Oh yeah, definitely. I just I don't know what you think, Justin, but I, I certainly agree hundred percent. And um, yeah, look, my villain is the umpiring. Of course, uh, you can't go past it, and the standard over the, over the course of the season has just been uh, very poor to just abject. I wouldn't quite put it as a part, but overall the quality just hasn't been what it used to be. And I think um, Longmire's comment earlier in the season is a very good comment when he said, the sport is a professional sport. The players are professional. They train five, six days a week and the umpires, they need to be professional too if they are going to work on their craft and improve as a team. And I think that was probably one of the single best criticisms of umpiring over probably the last decade. It didn't call anyone out in particular, but it basically said it is just not good enough. No, I think 
most people would be pretty disappointed uh, that the standard of umpiring has not improved with the standard of skills that's taken no. place within, you know, the playing on the playing field. And personally, I don't I don't feel throughout this season that there's been a game prior to this one where the Swans were really sort of disadvantaged by it. But I think I don't think it helped the Swans. Uh, in this game at all and the fact that they were able to overcome that and to really sort of move beyond it is is a credit to them but I don't think the fact that they did that should take away from the fact that the umpiring um, was was one-sided. I don't yes. so much mind the fact that there was umpiring that provided uh, Adelaide with, with free kicks as the umpire saw them at the time. It was more what they missed. Yes, definitely. And it was interesting to hear that Hayden Kennedy, who runs the um, AFL umpires, yep. made the comment midweek that he, of course, pointed out the uh, Eddie Betts tackle on Callum Mills after Callum Mills had marked the ball. He appeared to play on, and yep. he singled that out and said, we think we got that wrong. It should have been play on. Therefore, Betts really should not have been penalised with the 50 metres against him. And, and that play obviously led to a goal. Um, which assisted the Swans in their sort of attempt to win that match. And he also pointed out that the wonderful Lance Franklin may have run a few metres too yeah, far. Yeah, that as well too. On the way to it, his goal, but he, he didn't make any other commentary about no. about about the very lopsided nature of the, of the free kick count. Well, they, they can't really do it because they're going to admit the fact that their umpires aren't good enough and their coaching isn't good enough. And look, there was a couple of, you know, very obvious ones. For instance, Hewitt dropping the ball in the first quarter with maybe like the second or third tackle of the match was not. It was knocked out of his hands. Then you had Sloan getting a free kick at the first bounce for absolutely nothing whatsoever. Then you had Charlie Cameron's free kick, I think, in the uh, third quarter. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people on Twitter have looked at that and gone, what was that for? Um, and he was complaining about, what have I done? And the free kick was actually Charlie Cameron's free kick for holding Lloyd. So, yeah, look, um, we could sit here all night and talk about it, but I think we both agreed that our villain of the week is definitely the umpires. It, they are villain of the week um, this year collectively, uh, this week collectively, yeah. and we'd all like them to probably take just another trip off to OPSM for just a quick eye check just to make absolutely (laughs) sure they've got the right prescription contacts in their eyes for this coming week. Yeah, it's the the sponsorship is just too too ironic. It's just getting to a joke now. It is. uh, (laughs) Look, that sort of leads us into the review. The last two minutes, once again, perfect from the Swans. And, you know, there's a little bit of criticism going towards the Crows. And I don't think it's the right kind of criticism because they didn't do too much wrong. Sydney did everything right. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I think that the Crows could consider themselves unlucky in that in that they didn't kick straight. I think if they had kicked a little straighter, uh, it would have made it much harder for Sydney. But I think in those last couple of minutes, after Papley kicked that wonderful, wonderful goal where the ball just really fell into his lap, uh, I think the Swans defended beautifully and really Adelaide had really not much chance actually or at all of kicking a goal 
to put them in front at the end. I think they had their chances yep. earlier on uh, and they let them slip. And whether that was the reason for their goal kicking and their inaccuracy potentially was the Swans' pressure uh, or perceived pressure. Um, but I think that if you're a Swan supporter, you could feel pretty proud of, of the boys. And, and in addition to that, I think you can be also have some confidence that when games get close, they're going to have a few extra tricks up their sleeve. Absolutely. And on that two minutes, I think the Crows in the last five minutes had two inside 50s. And that was roughly about the time that Reed kicked his first goal. Mm-hmm. Um, he went back, he marked one, and then there was also the rampy rebound. Yeah. And then after that, they didn't have an inside 50, whereas the Swans in that time had one. They had uh, four or five inside 50s, but most of the play, I think it was about 60%, 40% of the play in the Swans' forward half from about the five-minute mark. There was a lot of desperation. That midfield, uh, and everybody virtually was in the midfield, but that midfield was, they were just... The players were just flinging themselves at the yep. ball. Their tackling, their defensive pressure, they were on their men. It was one on one. It was a delight to a delight to behold. And I I don't know about you, but I, I think they're the best one on one defensive team in the league. And that is showing complete bias, but I think it's true. No, I agree. I agree one hundred percent. And you look at the defenders. You've got Rampy, who really should be taking you know third tall plays. He's only I think one eighty eight, one eighty nine centimeters and eighty odd kilos. He's not a big boy, and he's taking you know the next gorilla basically. And when Grundy's not out there, he's basically taking you know Hawkins for example. He played on Hawkins, so he is taking the second biggest, if not the most, you know, biggest or most important forward. Then you've got Grundy, who's, you know, Mr. Reliable. He's always consistent. He is rarely beaten. And, you know, how you were saying before about Rant always being talked about as the best, you know, centre-half defender or, you know, full-back in the league. The thing that really irks me is that Grundy is never considered in that conversation. And yet he is beaten far less often. He has far less goals kicked on him. He doesn't have anywhere near as many metres gained, but I'd wager that he most likely has more intercept marks and intercept possessions. I can only... I agree with you. I can only imagine that it just helps to fire Reg Grundy up when, yeah. when, it, comes, when it comes time for the start of the game and also to maybe not being the centre of attention is the way, just the yep. way he likes it. He always seems like a um, pretty chilled, pretty quiet guy. And even when BT was doing his BT thing after the game, he didn't want to talk to him. So No. Well, I don't blame him. <laughs> I don't want to talk to BT either. <laughs> but so look, um, Sloan was uh, he had a pretty big... Yeah, he was. He was, um, he was magnificent. Now, before the game, um, I wrote, I think it was on Thursday... Um, when talking about fast starts, I wrote that I might've been last, sorry, in the podcast last week, I talked about the fact that in order to stop Sloan, I think the Swans needed to rotate Hewitt and Jack off him. And in the first half they went with Heaney, which I never even thought about possible. However, and he killed it in that first half, basically the first two and a half quarters, he was their best player on the ground. He was arguably the best player on the ground, but Kieran Jack and Hewitt went to him and pretty much shut him down. That last 
five or so minutes of the game, he had basically no impact whatsoever. And same with the Crouchers. They had almost no impact. I think Sloan kicked it long uh, into the forward line, to, and that was when Reed intercepted. But apart from that... Yeah, I, yeah, I, interesting. Um, I thought that Sloan probably... I think he got under Heaney's skin a bit. I think Heaney yeah. was maybe a tiny bit overzealous in the way he was going about things there, which gave him a few freebies. But the thing with Sloan is that he just he just keeps going. He just never stops. And he... He did a power of work when when he was getting Adelaide back on track. He was absolutely outstanding, and I think he finished with 41 disposals, uh, in, you know, quite a few of them contested. So, I, I I look, I agree with you. I think in the final few minutes, I think that um, Hewitt and Jack really did shut him down a bit. But uh, you couldn't fault him from a swan, uh, uh, sorry, from a crow's perspective for the rest of the game. And I think that you know, looking forward into the finals future, should the Swans meet them again, I'm absolutely certain that Rory Sloan will be the first player on John Longmire's list in terms yeah. of how we have to go about stopping him because he is an absolute pivotal player. I agree 100%. And, you know, I also said that we need to shut down Laird, Crouch and sort of try to nullify Jacobs as much as we could. And as it turned out, because I, I did hypothesize that basically Sloan, you can nullify him, but you've also got to take care of the other guys. In the end, they're four, four of the five best players were the players I talked about, which was Sloan, Laird, Crouch, and Jacobs. And, you know, Sinclair was okay against Jacobs. Tippett was okay against Jacobs. But probably the most impressive part about the ruck duel that the Swans did for the match was those last two center bounces when Sinclair out jumped him, got a really nice clean tap and it just went straight inside forward 50. And then the last one, again, tip it out, jumped him very clean tap straight inside forward 50. Yeah, I I think so too. I I think that Jacobs obviously won the rucking duel, but uh, look, we're not, we're not privy to the tactical, tactics that uh, get talked about between the, the coaches. Um, but you wonder whether Longmire was prepared to sacrifice yep. a few taps to Jacobs in order to you know, do some of the other things that he wanted to do. And Look, I think it's fair to say that uh, the Swans don't have a, a really uh, key ruckman um, that perhaps some of the other clubs do, yep. but... It, you know, one, one ruckman does not make a, make a football team, and I'm quite happy with uh, with the arrangements that we've got at the moment. I agree, I agree, and I thought around the ground um, Sinclair more than held his own against him, and I thought Jacobs had pretty limited influence on the match. I mean, he finished with 48 hitouts, which is pretty insane, but I don't think he had that much influence. He uh, didn't kick any goals. Uh, he didn't really have many tackles or inside fifty, so I think the Swans did uh, did a pretty good job on him. The the one that I don't think had too much of a good game, and I know I've sort of brought it up before, is unfortunately Melican. Um, he's uh, he he has some good moments, he has some bad moments, and I said in my ratings that you know young players they're going to have good games, they're going to have bad games. More often than not, they'll have bad games more than they will good games. And I think uh, Friday night was another example of how he can be exploited. Yeah, I think so. He, it wasn't his best game for sure. I saw him do a couple of good things. Um, 
I would also add young Will Haywood into that mix as well. He, yes. He made a couple of a couple of clangers that I'm sure when he looked back on the replay uh, with the coaches this week, he would have winced at. Yep. Um, certainly a couple of his attempted moves really didn't come off and, and he, he wasn't prominent, but uh, potentially that was because the Crows are really a, a top-shelf team and some of the things that they were doing, let's just say, you wouldn't have seen the previous week against Fremantle. So I think that you're right. I think the young players can be very up and down and I don't think Longmire will you know, take too much or read too much into that. But I do think that in the future there's a lot, a lot of room for improvement and I've got absolutely no doubt that those two players will have learnt so much from that game. Absolutely. And look, um, we have to sort of look at what the team structure is going to be because Newman's going to be fit this week. And uh, with the bye being introduced, uh, it kind of puts teams going into the finals in a bit of a difficult position, a conundrum, if you will, because good form is winning. Well, winning form is good form. Losing form is bad form. Not playing is even worse. So if you rest players, you, you risk actually playing them out of form and you know they won't be match fit. They won't have much touch when they come back in. And we saw that last year from uh, Geelong and the Giants. They really struggled in the first 45 minutes of their matches after they won their qualifying finals. And even in the first quarter of most of the matches after the first bye uh, in the first round of finals, a lot of teams struggled um, just for touch, uh, cleanliness, uh, efficiency, the Swans especially. I think um, like what Papley had two goals in the first quarter and everyone else was turning it over and yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens this week cause, uh, again, against Carlton, and no doubt we'll talk about that shortly. Uh, but I am not entirely certain that Melican will be will, would be dropped on that performance. But yeah, no, certainly, I, I wouldn't think so either. Cer- certainly, I would expect to see Newman if he's fit uh, back in the back in the team, and it'll be uh, wonderful to see him because he is a player who is really exciting and as. Um, I'm a big supporter of defenders because I think that they're often underrated, and I I just I absolutely love the way Nick Newman plays. He's just got a bit of something about him. It's it's exciting to watch. So we'll we'll, we'll keep an eye on that space. Absolutely, and I think uh, the younger players from last year have definitely stepped up this year, and they've proven themselves this year. Uh, Hewitt. Papley, Heaney, Mills. Last year, at times, they really struggled, but this year they've come on leaps and bounds. Reed has been amazing since he's come back. Even Tippett's starting to look like a footballer again, which is fantastic. And good old Chief Sinclair, he's um, yeah, he's holding down his own. It's going to be really hard to actually fit Naismith back in. But uh, look, let's have a look at some of the other games from the weekend. And... Port and the Dogs. Football Logic said that the Dogs, they're outside the top eight. They're not going to win. And lo and behold, Port Adelaide won. Now, did you happen to catch any of this match? I did see some of it. I was distinctly underwhelmed by the Western Bulldogs. They just have lost their mojo. I I can't see them making the finals. And they certainly against... They had they had not much against Port Adelaide. Um, no. uh, I... I'm not sure. I know that they've had some injuries, but I don't think that's entirely it. I, I just think that there is the magic that they had 
last year and that momentum is is not there and I really can't I really cannot see them making the finals I think that Port have been um, quite inconsistent yes but, definitely but but when they get going they are a magnificent team and and one player who has really caught my eye and I'm, I'm sure that he has caught many many supporters eyes around the nation uh, is young Sam Powell Pepper again yes. a, a, a first year player built like a 30 year old yes yeah. he is re- um, he's a powerful it, little kid he's only 18 I think still he could be 19 I'm 19 not sure now, yeah. yeah 19 I think he's 19 he's actually a West Australian lad uh, he actually attended the school my son currently goes to uh, they knew he was good there, but I just look at him and he looks such a mature player. And I think that's what sets the young ones apart, the really good young ones apart, is that they do play in a way that is older than their years. They've just got the footy smarts, the head yep. for it. And he's definitely been an integral part of their unit this year. But I think with Port Adelaide, that you can't, you cannot go past, if you're looking this year compared with last year, having Ryder back in that yep. team after his obviously suspension that he was forced to serve has really made a massive difference to that team, really has. Agree, absolutely agree. And look on Sam, he had 12 tackles, which is very impressive. Um, Just from a young player alone, from any player, 12 tackles is a very, very good effort. And for a first-year player to do that is amazing. Uh, To be honest... If I was a betting man, I would have put some money on him to uh, win the Rising Star because over the course of the season, whenever I've seen him, he has looked pretty much right up to very good AFL standard, if not a 100-game player. He has that maturity on him and that confidence to be able to do it as well. And um, Port Adelaide have had a track record of picking up good young players. Wingard, for example, his first season. Um, Ebert was pretty good when he was young. Gray was pretty good when he was young. Ollie Wines was exceptional in his first couple of seasons. So they've uh, found another winner there. They've totally found another winner, and it'll be very interesting to see um, what transpires with Port in in the finals. It'll be fun to watch. Well, football logic says they're going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have a this is the funny thing right and and I'm not making this up the only team that they have beaten uh, who was top 8 at the time I guess you could call them top 8 at the time was Sydney in the first round every other team they've played when they've been outside the 8 they've beaten when they've been inside the 8 they've got trounced yeah they have been in pretty good form in recent weeks though and I just I like winning form. I think winning form yep. is is Good really form. important, and it'll like I said, I'm intrigued to see how they go. I don't think that they. I, I think that the Swans would beat them. Yep. Uh, I feel that Adelaide probably has got their measure. They certainly gave them an absolute thrashing earlier on this season in a, in one of their showdowns. So it'll be very interesting to see how they step up to finals pressure. Yeah, they uh, they could have actually they could have easily lost that game, and we could still be talking about the dogs being a chance and Swans almost an opportunity to go in a four. But oh, we'll see how that goes. And they play um, they actually play the Suns, so we'll talk about that later um, because it's a very interesting final round. Then we also had Collingwood. They uh, they nearly did in the Cats. They were um, looking the goods at one point actually. And it wasn't until the Cats kicked the last two goals of the game about halfway through the last quarter. 
Yeah, that, that was much closer than I think a few people thought. Uh, there may have been the odd Sydney Swans fan who was barracking for Collingwood, actually, in that <laughs> yes. game. Through gritted teeth. Um, yeah, yeah. Because it I think I had nice. to have a shower after that. <laughs> <laughs> because it would have been nice to see the Cats go down. But to yep. the Cats' credit, since they were beaten by the Swans on home territory, they've really come out in the last couple of weeks. And, yeah, they have. And, and shown quite a lot of spine. And I think that they're a, um, they're a live chance in the finals, the Cats, and I wouldn't be taking them uh, for granted or taking them lightly at all No. Uh, if I was one of the Swans. No, certainly not. And uh, look, they're, they're pretty much um, – they are the embodiment of a three-player team. They've got Salwood, Dangerfield, and Hawkins. Um, I think – potentially Selwood's the most important player. And if he's missing in the first round of the finals, I don't like their odds regardless of who they're playing. And even then, they still have to play the Giants next week. So there could be a bit of deck chair shuffling. You never know what could happen. You know, they might actually end up fourth and playing the Crows away. So it's... Interesting times. I know they're looking okay, but, you know, they're not looking great. But we'll see how they go next week. It's a massive game next week. And then we also had, unfortunately, Fremantle throwing in the towel against Richmond. And well, the amazing thing is they scored the first three goals and it was like, yes, they could do it. And then just went home afterwards. It was basically like just went to change rooms and nicked off home. Yeah, I, I did catch some of this match. I live in Perth and, and I did catch a bit of this match on TV and I was interested to have a look because I know a number of Fremantle supporters and a number of them, this being, of course, the last game likely to be played yep. at the old Subiaco Oval or Domain Stadium, as it's currently called. It could well be the last game. Um, well, it was the last game for, for Fremantle. It could be... Not too many more games played there ever, ever again, really, in the AFL. And, and so there was a lot of Fremantle supporters who'd been there, members of the club who'd been going, sitting in the same seats for the last 15-plus years. And it was a quite, an emotion, quite an emotional match for them and one that carried a bit more weight to it, even though Frio couldn't make the finals. And I think that there was really um, a lot of shock and disappointment among the fans, really, that their team couldn't come up with a better performance than that. And to me, having a look at it, I just think that some of those players, mentally, they weren't there at all. They, they might have been there physically, but uh, they, they'd packed up and gone on holidays already. Oh, we've seen it from so many teams in the past before. We're seeing it from North Melbourne at the moment. Fortunately, we're not seeing it from Brisbane. They, they still care. They are still trying to win games and, you know, they're never really out of contests. You know, they almost beat Melbourne in Melbourne. So, look, um, Melbourne really escaped from that one right at the end. Um, that scoreboard of 13 points, they kicked the goal right at the end. So, you know, that could have very well gone the other way. And, look, St Kilda torched North Melbourne. So, it's um, it's frustrating because Fremantle a few years ago they were superb. They were like almost unbeatable. What was it? Uh, a nineteen two, nineteen three season. They won yeah. thirteen or fourteen in a row, just like Ross Lyon had with St Kilda when they won. I think the first seventeen or eighteen games or something silly like that. Mm-hmm. So his teams can win. It's just I don't know whether or not the players believe in it or not. It's just they're embarrassing. They're, they're an embarrassment. 
Well, I, I think it's interesting that for a, a coach that's really prided himself on a really stingy defence, um, obviously in the last couple of weeks, Fremantle has lost by a combined total of 208 points. Yep. Uh, I think and they that haven't even and they haven't even scored 90 points. Correct. Or actually, and no, sorry, they haven't scored 100 points. They scored 40, I think, or 39. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that Ross has a lot of work to do over the preseason with those young players that he has sort of said, well, when you've got young players, they can be up and down. And, you know, um, he's kind of said that he believes that, that, not that the young players were at fault, but he, he certainly identified them as being one of the reasons why um, things, I guess, went completely pear-shaped the last couple of weeks. But And you certainly can't fault the effort of some of those leaders at the club, like Mundy and, and Fife. They, they, they never stopped trying. Um, yep. But I think that there probably is a little more to it. And if, if I was a Fremantle supporter going forward, uh, I would be more than interested to see how Ross Lyon rises to this challenge because he's been the recipient of a very generous coaching contract. Yes, yes, definitely. Extended to 2020 and that's something that raised the eyebrows uh, among many AFL watchers around the the league and be interesting to see how that, how he goes with that, yeah, in in coming months. I can't agree more and look, um, you look over their senior list and really apart from Monday and Fife, they don't have anything left. Sanderlands, if he plays again next season, is is thirty five. Johnson's basically done. Um, Zach, uh, whatever his name was, the the really bad centre half back, he's gone. Dawson. Almost all Zach Dawson. <laughs> there you go. I don't even remember his name, but he's gone. So um, they finally got Harley Bennell back after what almost two seasons. Uh, he wasn't the had- worst. <laughs> I know, I know, but they've had some shocking trades and you just look at their youth and it's a bit like what Hawthorne's youth is. There's You kind of look at it and you go, where's the next level? And, you know, granted, Hawthorne's youth has kind of come a little bit good, but I think too much has been said about their youth because I still think it's not that good. But Fremantle's youth is like uh, edge of the cliff. It's I think they're going to be spending quite a few seasons in the bottom half of the ladder, if not the bottom four. Well, they could do, and I, to be honest with you, having watched that Carlton-Hawthorne game or most of it, um, I'm not sure where Hawthorne's going to be next year either. Have enormous respect um, for Alistair Clarkson, the coach, but uh, and of course our, the wonderful Tommy Mitchell has been, will be win their most valuable player or their oh, by best, mile. And fa- yeah. best and best and fairest by by the proverbial country mile. But I look at Hawthorne, and I'm not seeing much in the tea leaves there for them. I think there's no. a bit more upside upside in, in what Carlton has at the moment. Well, this is the amazing thing. Burgoyne's basically, uh, you never know if he'll play again. He could play again. He's good enough to play again, but he may hang up the boots. Hodge is gone. Gibson's gone. Roughheads, he's, I think, 30 years old. And even then, he hasn't played well this season. Uh, their senior depth is evaporating. Um some of their key defenders, like um, I think it's Birchall, is it, who's always out injured. Uh, mm. So um, they got Jager Amira, who played, I think, half a dozen games this year. And it's kind of turning out to be one of the worst trades of the last five years, really, apart from the ones that Cyr- have obviously failed. And Cyril Rioli has had his injury <laughs> problems too. And I think one of the keys for them has always been keeping him fit and on the field. And Yes, absolutely. Um, yep, I look at Hawthorne and I, I see... 
Tom Mitchell leading the way, and I think he will. He's a. I think he's got a great presence of mind, Tom Mitchell. I think he's wholehearted and really game, and I think he'll try and carry that team on his shoulders. But I have my doubts about Hawthorne and. And really, I think as we've all sort of joked about midweek, uh, I've got absolutely no idea what their team, coaches and supporters are going to be doing in September. They will not know what to do with themselves. No. To be honest, I don't know what's going to happen to that team in the off-season. They've already lost a coach. I think one of them went to, um, went to Gold Coast or Brisbane or something like that. Not to be a senior coach, but the coach. So... <sighs> Yeah, they're losing. They're losing coaches. They're going to lose players. Uh, they're not going to have a first round pick. That's already going to St Kilda. So St Kilda's already laughing with that one. Um, I would expect them next year to be bottom four and probably bottom four for or bottom six for at least the next two to three years afterwards. Um, I don't think they're going to be up to their eight like late eighties, early twenty ten sort of stature for quite a long time with the way that they've. Well, they managed their list very well to get where they got to, but afterwards it's just sort of teetered off the edge of a cliff. I agree with you. Uh, so, look, let's uh, let's transition into a little bit of NEFL talk, a little bit of reserves. So, we had the honour of Jordan Dawson finishing fourth in the NEFL MVP award. He had a superb season in the reserves, and I think it really is underscored by the fact that he transitioned from a half-forward role into basically a Kennedy clone in the midfield. I think Jordan um, has been averaging 29 disposals a game, which is pretty good numbers. And I think two goals or something silly like that and about six or eight marks. Yeah, he has. And it just shows that what great talent he has. And uh, we do look forward to seeing him in the seniors one day. But one of the players that stood out for me, given that we did have a number of Sydney Swans players who've made that NEFL team of the year, is Jeremy Laidler. And Jeremy's obviously a, a, a veteran player, um, a former senior player in the Swans' number one squad. Uh, he's been really squeezed out of the defensive lineup from the ones uh, due to the great form of, of people like Rampy, like Mills. Melican has been keeping him out. And Jeremy Laidler could have really spat the dummy in a big way, given that he is a senior player, but he has really been magnificent, obviously, for the, in the NEFL team throughout the season and has actually made the NEFL team of the year. What a great effort. Absolutely. Uh, I think he deserves a very big round of applause from the from the fans and also from the club. And I have watched him play. I watched him play in person uh, for the Suns and... He never ducked. He never shirked. He never sort of went about it at half pace. He went in hard at every single contest, like it was his own. You know, like it was his last contest that he ever be in. And to be honest, his leadership on the field in the reserves team has been superb. So, you know, big congrats to him. He's been a very good player for the Swans, and in end, I think in general as well. Yep, here, here. I'm, I'm a big supporter of Jeremy's, and isn't it good to know that should something go horribly wrong in terms of uh, injuries or whatever to our own defenders, that Jeremy Layla is a player in form who can just slot into a role straight away? Oh, absolutely. And I think we still have him until next season as well. So it's not like um, we're at risk of losing him. Um, our depth in the reserves is quite frankly ridiculous uh just how many defenders especially key defenders we have that could come back in uh harry marsh jeremy ladler alia alia uh talia um and maybourne who is in his first season who for all 
you know, accounts has actually been a pretty good fullback, very much in the Grundy ilk. So uh, we are certainly stocked for um, defensive depth. And I think with the contracts coming up at the end of this year, we might have to sort of shed a little bit. And look, and that's even forgetting Alex Johnson. So it's uh, it's pretty amazing just how deep that that is back there. Yep, 100%. And just on Alex Johnson, I haven't, of course, been had the opportunity to be able to talk about him before, but if now that I've just got um, 10 or 20 seconds to do so, Alex Johnson has obviously been a talking point for many Sydney supporters and, and a, a player who we all admire. But I just to have, again, my sort of 20 cents worth, it would be quite possibly the greatest feeling outside of a grand final victory to see that young man make it one day back into the ones. We hope hope and have our fingers crossed that, that that happens and I guess what he has to keep on doing is keep on playing the games, get, put the time in and keep healthy and we've got our fingers crossed and our toes crossed as well that we'll be seeing him um, back out there and, and just doing what he does best. And, 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 you know, the last time we all saw him was in the 2012 grand final um uh, doing his thing then and and it's it's just wonderful to know that he's had the opportunity to come back and get a run with a very good Neefel team and uh, we'll have to see how they go in the finals which are upcoming as well. Absolutely and uh, his progress in the reserves has been very impressive. He's um, picked up where he left off and his form is dramatically improving. I think he had um, 20 odd possessions on the weekend as well, and he's playing basically full matches now. So it looks like there's not going to be a recurrence of a knee injury, which is great news. Let's have a quick look over what the next round looks for us. There are some pretty big games. For example, Collingwood are going to host Melbourne. So Melbourne have to win that. And even then, Hawks and Dogs who are extreme outsiders to reach the finals and like everything has to go right. And they have to win by some pretty damn big margins to make the finals, but they are praying for basically Collingwood to win. Um, who else would they need? Uh, Fremantle to win, Richmond to win, Adelaide to win. So that's what they're praying for. So I, d- I can't see that happening. I have to no. tell you, I cannot see that happening. And in actual fact, and they'd have to lose but- by a hundred points. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I think that's going to be a really interesting match, Collingwood Melbourne, because absolutely uh, Melbourne Melbourne are no shoe in for that because it does appear that the Pies suddenly uh, have found a bit of something, a bit of form, and they appear to be playing well enough to possibly save their coach's neck. And uh, I yep. wouldn't be marking that one in the book at all for the Melbourne Demons. No, it's. Ever since Eddie Maguire came out and said there's nothing guaranteed about Buckley, their team's basically pulled the thumb out and gone, all right, let's actually care. <laughs> let's be professional and do something. So, yeah, their turnaround has been pretty stunning, to be honest. And um, they're actually looking like a decent team. And they're short they Pendlebury and they're short a few other players, but they are playing well. They are playing well. And my personal favourite, uh, Jamie Elliott, has uh, had a couple of decent games as well, which yep. we all love to see. Now all we need to see him do is take a screamer. <laughs> <laughs> Another mark of the year nomination. Exactly, now, exactly. Now, uh, I reckon Saturday afternoons, Lions versus North, this is going to be the 
opposite of an all-time classic. This is winner takes all. So it's basically going to be who can throw the match the hardest and get away with it. Whoever loses finishes bottom last, like dead last. There's no no other way about it. So they're both on uh, five wins, and the next is on six. So hmm. or if even if they draw, I think it's uh, Brisbane will finish, finish last. So, yeah, that one's going to be keenly watched. Then, of course, we're playing. Uh, we need to win and win by. Uh, well, we don't need to thrash them. But the interesting thing is we need to win by at least 20 more points than Port Adelaide win by. And come on, sons, we're praying for you guys to do an upset because the alternative is you're going to lose by 100 points. Yeah, quite an interesting game. I think that it's um, for the Sydney Swans playing Carlton, that, of course, was the match that's been sort of been described as the line in the sand match, isn't it? Yeah. The one where, where uh, Callum Mills got ragdolled a bit by yes. his um, opposition and he didn't get a lot of support from his teammates. That, of course, put them at 0-6 and, and they pretty much hit the bottom there and, and just shook themselves at that point and said, you know what, this is just not good enough and turned, to, turned themselves around. Um, so it's quite sort of ironic that the Swans would be playing Carlton at this time of the, the year in the last game before the finals. And I, I, you would have to say that they're going to be very keen to avenge that loss, which was really yeah. quite embarrassing. It was an embarrassing loss at the MCG. Agreed. I think there's going to be some uh, some people with memories that will be telling them, let's go out and give them a jolly good hiding. So. Yep. I'd like to put my neck on the line here, Justin, and my prediction is that uh, the Sydney Swans will have a big win in that match. 100 points? I'm not sure about 100 points, but I'm, I'm going for 10 goals. 60-plus, uh, no worries. Hopefully it'll be enough. I'm not quite sure it'll be enough, but look, the the amazing thing about the final round is every, almost every single game – actually, that's that's wrong. Every single game is there is something – to be got from it. So Hawks and Dogs are playing for eighth spot if they can get it, and there's a miracle, basically. Collingwood and Melbourne, so Melbourne is playing to stay in the finals or at least improve their position. Lions and Roos are playing for the wooden spoon. The Swans are cold, and Swans are trying to get into the top four, so they need to win and win big. And then the big one, this is this could potentially be like a top two decider. You've got the Cats and Giants. So, and... and I've got the ladder here. The amazing thing is Richmond can actually finish third. Um, and the only way that Port Adelaide or Sydney slip into the top four is if Richmond lose. doesn't matter what Geelong or Giants or Crows do. They're, they're in. But it's it's a massive, massive game. And then you've got Port Adelaide Suns. They're going to try and trounce them to try and finish in the top four. And they are um, point... 0.4% ahead of us, which is roughly about 18, 20 points. Um, mm. Essendon, Fremantle. Essendon, again, uh, they're playing to stay in. They lose the route. That, that's pretty much it. Richmond, St. Kilda. Richmond, top four. St. Kilda, top eight. St. Kilda don't win. They're out. St. Kilda lose. Swans or Port Adelaide's in. And then Eagles and Crows. Again, Eagles ninth. They're playing to get in. Crows are playing to stay top. If they lose, they will finish second. 
Well, isn't it great that Round 23 is producing a whole bunch of matches that are interesting and engaging and, and games that really you want to be watching? Uh, some years it's a complete dead loss, Round 23. So Last year, 2014, 2015, that's the whole reason why the buy came in because 2014 and 2015, teams are throwing the last round. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see... Uh, Essendon make it. I think they've had a shocking, shocking time of it, and I'd like to see Essendon make the finals. But I think they've had a couple of poor results earlier in the season that may bite them. Having said that, I think that they'll do the job on on Fremantle. Um, the great match of the round is definitely going to be uh, Geelong versus GWS. Well, what about the Swans? <laughs> in and I die just poking the bear. <laughs> Absolutely. Well. We, Outside of that match, that yeah, would be outside, the, yeah. uh, the, the, the match of the round, I think, because it's just going to be two good quality teams really going at it, but really there's a lot to be said for uh, a lot of those other matches there, and I think there's going to be some significant interest in seeing who does take out the wooden spoon, and yep. um, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll know more, I guess, in, uh, in a week's time. Well, the amazing thing is none of the top eight positions are locked, none of them, so everyone has to win. That, that's yeah. it. Everyone has to win. And if they, if everyone wins, then they all stay in the same positions. But first to eighth can change. And I think anywhere up to like 11 or 12 teams could slip in. So, yeah, all the way up to Hawthorne, all the way down to Hawthorne, they could slip in. Let's see, eighth is 44. Hawthorne is – no, I'm wrong. So Hawthorne's out. So the Dogs, uh, they have to win because they're on equal points. So you've got four teams on 44. Then you got Melbourne, one clear on 48, and then two on 52, 56, 58, 60, 62. So. Yeah, it, it's exciting. And I think uh, if, you've, if you've been a Richmond supporter for a long time, you'll be um, in a state of absolute uh, excitement um, given that Richmond can finish in the top four and um, very few people really, well, very few people perhaps wearing red and white thought that they had uh, the ticker in in them to uh, get as far as they have and to do as well as they have. But, you know, they've shown that they've really got a bit of something extra this year and it'd be really interesting to see how St Kilda um, shows up against them. It's obviously going to be Nick Rewalt's last ever match in the a- in AFL and um, let's hopefully they give them a run for their money. But uh, I'd really be putting my money on Richmond in that one. Yeah, look... You just pray that St Kilda might do the same thing they did last time, which would uh, basically cause all Richmond supporters to chuck their memberships in a microwave. (laughs) Oh, we'd like to see that. Oh, I'd love to see photos of it. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, then they lose to eight. That would be hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Look, um, let's move on to our game in particular. Now, you brought up earlier the line in the sand game, and – especially when we had Mills sort of getting bumped and bashed around. And one of the things that came out of that game, I think um, sort of got me the most was when Kennedy said that he didn't even notice or see that any of it was happening. And Parker and Hanabry especially came out and said, oh, we saw it, but we didn't do anything. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I have read a... uh a story that featured, among others, Nick Smith. Um, and he, I think as a defender, felt quite badly uh, after that match that there really wasn't a lot, there wasn't as much support for Mills as he would have liked to have seen. And I think he's a, a, a senior player who it really, um, he, he, I think, suspect he probably had a few sleepless nights after that. And I think it's good that 
those kind of players really felt accountable and wanted to make a real difference after that game. And there's no doubt in my mind that, that John Longmire was doing what he could as a coach and the, and the other coaches were doing what they could to, I guess, get the, the Swans firing on all cylinders. But I do like the fact that individual players were saying to themselves, you know what, that really wasn't good enough. Yeah, and I thought the um, turnaround uh, from the team from week to week was just, you know, the Lions game was impressive. They uh, turned up, they played, and they basically looked like they were 2016 stock, not the 2017 rubbish. So uh, their response, I thought, spoke volumes about their character and especially the culture of the football club to not give up. And I think it was really interesting hearing Longmire's press conferences and after-match conferences in the last couple of weeks where he's basically said that, you know, things just, they just weren't working. We had to strip it back, really go back to basics. And he said not long after, I think it was around about round nine, maybe round 10, um, when he said that, you know, players, some of the players were just focusing too much on themselves, but were trying to do too much instead of trying to do the team thing. So, and Hanabry came out and he said as well that I was trying to do too much instead of the team thing as well. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were. And I think there was also an element of, um, there was no using the fact that some players had been injured uh, or were ill in the yeah, case of uh, Henny. There wasn't a case of using that as an excuse, but there was no doubt there was a bit of disjointedness there. And it, it took them a while to get into a rhythm. Um, it did take a little bit longer than what I think everyone would have thought was possible to for them to really come good. But I think it was it's been a really good collective effort um, among the coaching group and the playing group to uh, really bounce back from that. I, I just think it really shows a lot of character and and agree, yeah, and and is supported that that's what you want to see from your team. Oh, look, it's been fantastic, and I agree completely. Um, the injury hasn't even been used as a crutch. I remember around, I think it was five, um, after four losses, around about then, um, Longmire was quizzed, you know, are all these young players, is it just too much? And everyone knew it was, you know, a couple of players, too many, too many young players in the side, you know, inexperienced, they don't know what to do, they're not quite at the level, that sort of thing. And he said, oh, look, yeah, maybe it's having an impact, but, you know, that's not an excuse. We just haven't been good enough. Our leaders just haven't been good enough. Our senior players haven't been good enough. In fact, the young players have been the best players. So I thought it was – and you contrast that to what Ruse said after uh, the match on the weekend. Longmire saying our seniors aren't good enough, which is true, did not blame injuries, did not blame youth, even though youth could have been such an easy thing to blame. And I think it gave a lot of confidence to the youth, to the younger players and the inexperienced players to what Rue said, which was basically, yeah, they're not very good. It's pretty much what he said. Yeah, well, so, differing, differing viewpoints, but um, yeah. Absolutely. You'll, Mm. I'm looking forward to the match very, very much, and uh, yes. <laughs> yes. we all love beating the Blues, so uh, all I can say is come on the Swans. Come on the Swans big time. Mm-hmm. The thing is, if we want to make top four, we pray that Richmond loses and we have to win by more than 20 than what Port Adelaide win by, so it's going to have to be a very big margin. Yeah, we'll have to see how the cards fall in that deck, but... The, but 
based on what we know um, of the league this year and also, of course, the performance of the Western Bulldogs to come from seventh last year to win the Premiership, I think we can safely say that finishing fifth or sixth holds no fears for the Swans, which is a good thing. Yes, I agree. And this year with the bye, uh, I think this is set up perfectly for the Swans to just go running in. And 2005, we had to win four finals. Uh, we got got dogged big time in that first final. That was um, pretty bad. Pretty bad last couple of like five to eight minutes, especially umpiring wise. We got stiffed big time there, but we had to win those finals, and we did. 2006, we had the armchair ride through. 2012, again, we won the big games. They were very big games, but we won them. Uh, 2014, again, 2016, we lost. So it's kind of like, do you want to win or do you want to lose? We don't have that choice. We are most likely not going to finish in the top four which means we just have to win every game. Absolutely. And I, I, I'd like to see how the, the players respond to that. I think they'll respond really well. They've just yes, shown agreed. that they've got a bit of mongrel in them and uh, I think there's a real desire and a hunger there. And uh, let's face it, we're all, all of us red and whites. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be right at the wave with them. Absolutely. And I think you look at the 2014 and the 2016 team, I think there's... Uh, you're right, there is a bit of hunger, there's a bit of mongrel, there's a bit of uh, there's real desire to prove everyone wrong and actually get in there and scrag it out, scruff it out and just you know hit them hard and win. I, I haven't seen the team fire up like, like this since pretty much like the mid-2000s. They look really hungry and they really want to win. Yeah, and one of the other things that I've noticed too, and we're talking about that desire to win and and that hardness, is that uh, you have a player like Isaac Heaney, and, you know, he looks like butter wouldn't melt in his mouth, but he (laughs) is pound for bound. He is the hardest player on that field in terms of not giving an inch at all. Just doesn't take any nonsense from anybody. And that is just encouraging to see. It is, and I think it bodes very well for the future, which is amazing because you compare the Swans' future with Fremantles and Hawthorns, they're, they're pretty much gone. They're not going to play finals for a long time. And the Swans look like they could be basically top four for the next four years in a row. Granted, they don't have any more absurd injury crisis, but the way they've regenerated the list with the youth is um, is very impressive. And look, this game is going to be a very big game. I am hoping for a, a very big win. Uh, either way, very proud of the way that the Swan has, oh, the season has played out and it's ended. It's going to be a good ending. Absolutely, hundred percent. Let's have a uh, a quick look at the last round's good calls and bad calls. So, on the last week's episode, we had Matt on our show. Now, uh, Matt's first prediction. Now, this is a good one. He had Swans to win, tip it late goal, compelling goal. Well, Swans won, so we'll give him a tick there. Yeah, yeah, tip it wasn't um, – he, he played well, and I like the fact that he was trying to impose himself early on and uh, really, really showed something to the crowd who didn't appreciate him uh, being out in the field in the red and white. <laughs> no, he described it as a warm reception, which I thought was a very <laughs> a very uh, tactful way of putting it. They, uh, they loved him out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a great crowd, that one. <laughs> then we had Matt with the draw in Ballarat. Bam, bam. Um, 
at one time, it actually looked like it might have happened, but it didn't. And then he had this beautiful Perla, which I also picked. So I'm going to laugh myself for this one. Dockers to beat Richmond. I think he is 104 points off that one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That was an epic fail, but that's okay. We'll forgive him for that. (laughs) Now, I'm jumping in the same boat and rowing down the same river because I also had the Dockers. (laughs) Justin. (laughs) Yeah. Dear me. I know it was um, not a good one. I honestly thought it could happen, but it didn't. Franklin, more than 130 AFL fantasy points or 600 metres gained. Nah. Unfortunately, donuts there. And to cap off a terrible round of predictions, I pick Collingwood again. I've gone to that well one too many times. It's a poison chalice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Collingwood's been the death of many, many a tipster, I think, this year. Yeah, they are... Yeah, no, forget it. They're pretty much just like... They're like Richmond last year. You tip them to win and they lose. You don't tip them and they win. But to be honest, you're really not tipping them. You're not not tipping them that often. So Now, uh, would you care to give me three predictions for this round? Three predictions? Well, my first prediction is quite predictable, and that is that my prediction... My prediction is that Josh Kennedy from the Eagles will win the Coleman medal. I think he's going to do this because he's uh, clearly the most consistent goal kicker um, and has been all season. He is an absolutely top-shelf player. Um, I think that even playing the Crows and some pretty handy defenders are in that team. Uh, he's leading the Coleman at the moment. I just I can't see him being beaten. Yeah, look, um, unless he falls over himself, uh, he's pretty much unbeatable when it comes to the Coleman. And it's kind of amazing when you think about it that uh, your Coleman went medal winner might only kick 60-something goals. So, and he missed a yep, lot of games too. He he did he did miss a lot of games. I think he was out for six games. Six games, yep. Calf slash Achilles problem that he had, which in itself is remarkable that he will be uh, even in line uh, to win this sort of very coveted award. And we'd like to see, of course, Lance... Lance Franklin um, get close to him, but uh, at this stage, I think that I can't see anybody but Kennedy winning that award and, and jolly good luck to him. I, I just think he's a really quality player and, and West Coast are fortunate to have him. Yep, agreed. Now, uh, for your second prediction? Second prediction is that Fremantle go down by 10 goals or more in Ooh. their last match of the season. Yes, unfortunately, more pain for the purple uh, is my prediction for this weekend. Yep, just can't see them pulling themselves back up off the canvas. Uh, Not against Aston and at the Dome. But, look, they've had a funny relationship at the Dome. They they can win there. So, yeah, look, I'm with you on that one. And for your uh, third and final prediction? My third and final prediction is that should Callum Mills be targeted by Carlton just about every single Swans player will come to his aid. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Brennan Bolton. I keep thinking Roos Bolton, but Brennan Bolton, he's, uh, <laughs> he might go back to the uh, Jed Lamb well there, and I think it's going to backfire big time because they are going to let him know about it. Yeah, I think so too. I think that uh, they've probably played that 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 little play and they're done with it. But should they decide to go back and revisit it, I 
definitely think it'll backfire, and yeah. uh, I, I think that um, it could get a bit could get a bit ugly. I don't think anyone will get themselves suspended for it, but uh, they wouldn't want to go there, the Blues. No, I think they're going to get thrashed on and off today um, this in this game. So I just hope that none of the Swans players are silly enough to get themselves suspended or no injuries. That's my you know outcome. Sure. So um, now for my predictions. Mm-hmm. I've got Franklin with six goals. Ho-ho. Yeah. Well, it'd be nice to see. It'll be fun to see. And I am going to stick to the Swans, and I'm going to have the Swans up by 50-plus at halftime. Nice. Well, we'd all like to see that. And they do have the ability to score quickly, so uh, yep. I'd say that's, that's, a, that's a big possibility. And their uh, last... Three of four first quarters have been ridiculous. I talked about this um, during the week when I did my article about the fast start, and I think the Swans are averaging over the last two rounds, I think the previous two rounds, like 48.5 points in the first quarter. And that was against the Cats and Giants. Um, And then again, in the first quarter, they kicked 31 points. So they're averaging over 40 points in the first quarter, pretty much the last three games almost this last month. So, Excellent. I don't think you can go wrong with that one, Justin. I uh, certainly hope not, and I want to come back next week's podcast and be able to tick these two off. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be a slightly painful podcast. Now, I am most definitely not going to tip Collingwood. I mean, that should be a prediction, but it's a no-brainer. <laughs> Um, so I'm actually going with the Giants by two goals. Yeah, that's brave, isn't it? That's that's really brave because that game is at Simmons Stadium. Yes, and they are still without Salwood. They get back Hawkins. But if the Giants are going to put down, you know, their, you know, their, I don't know, their grand final or finals aspirations, they're going to have to beat teams away. And are they good enough? Well, this weekend's the time to find out. Absolutely, and I tell you what, if I was a giant supporter, I would feel, I would be absolutely uh, petitioning my club for them to keep Josh Kelly at any cost because he is an absolute gun player, a gun. Yeah, look, they need to keep those players, but uh, look, if they're expecting him to go, then maybe Jarek McVeigh's is not such a bad idea. They can shuffle it around and he provides a bit of leadership on the ground, but hey, let's not think about that. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. I'd rather us keep him. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, it's a good good prediction, uh, Justin. Certainly a bit of food for thought there. Yeah, look, I uh, hope the first two come through. I don't care about the Giants. <laughs> 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 look, uh, Heather, uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure and very big thank you for coming on at the last minute as well. I appreciate that. Thank you for the opportunity, Justin. It's been um, really uh, a great pleasure to be able to talk about my favourite topic uh, and to talk about it with somebody who shares the passion. So um, cheer, cheer, the red and the white, and uh, we'll look forward to maybe another opportunity. (laughs) Absolutely. I'd love to have you on again. And remember, guys, you can always follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram using the tag, the Swans blog. And you can always be in touch with us during the week using the hashtag SwansCast. Thank you very much. And until next time, go Swans. Go Swans.